Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly. Uh, so today's topic, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a book review, and we're going to just kind of go through the theology behind uh, the book. So in, in 2014, a movie came out, all right, based on this book that had professing believers honestly in tears, tears of sadness, tears of joy, praising God, uh, because of the experience of a four-year-old boy, four-year-old boy Colton Burpo. That's right, a four-year-old, uh, just to say it again. Of course, I'm speaking about the film Heaven is for Real, which was made after uh, the book of the same title, which came out in or sometime around 2010, I think. A- except there seems to be a bit of a problem. Is Heaven is for Real really for real? Unfortunately, when you read the book, testing the claims beside the authority of Scripture, and of course using a little bit of common sense and some reasoning skill, it falls utterly short of being trustworthy. So with that introduction, folks, strap in your seats because here we go. We're going to go through the teachings of this book, to be quite frank, which is just uh, chock full of an emotional roller coaster, right? Manipulative tear jerkers and just a whole, whole lot of speculation. Um, we're not going to get through the full book because just making the notes through this book, it would be like a, a five podcast episode if we did that. But um, let, let's just kind of go through it. Because to be honest, this kind of thing, these books, these movies, not the only one, really tend to draw Christians in and you know, part of that is we're made to be emotional beings, and so no one is suggesting su- suggesting that we should just totally ignore our emotions. But uh, the reality is, if a book can make you cry, make you laugh, make you smile, we tend to, even in the Christian church, kind of dispense with any sort of, um, yeah, analytical judgment or questioning or testing. And we just buy it wholesale, lock, stock, and barrel. And that is really, really what has happened with this book. Uh, In fact, not too long ago, I heard the testimony of uh, some folks that heard this book and absolutely loved it. And there was no indication that they discovered any kind of theological error or question what was in the book. And this is pretty common today. So Todd Burpo, who is Colton's dad, Colton is the four-year-old, right? Um, His dad, who is a pastor, tells of his four-year-old's experience from uh, needing an emergency appendectomy, who supposedly went to heaven during the time of the operation for three minutes. He was in heaven reportedly for three minutes, and then he returned to earth by the time it was done. Now, I mean, let's just first observe the fact that this entire story is based on what a four-year-old said, and it's not, I say story, but it is purported to be fact, okay? The book is written as a, this is fact, this is a real experience my four-year-old son had. So we're talking about something that is all based on what, supposedly, what a four-year-old has uh, has said. I mean, 
let me just ask you a question. When's the last time you decided it would be a good idea to get your theology lessons from a four-year-old? Or when did we start believing that everything a four-year-old says must be true or is true? I can certainly and distinctly remember telling my mom when I was four and five, I know I was those ages because both preschool and um, in kindergarten, I got disciplined a few times for making the statement, well, the devil made me do it. Now, that wasn't just a lie. <laughs> that wasn't the only lie told when I was four, five, six years old. But certainly, just because I was four, five, six years old didn't mean everything I said was true. Right? So, let's get into this book a little bit. In the prologue on page 18, it says this, Colton turned his eyes up and to the right, the attitude of remembering. Well, they sang, Jesus loved me, and Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, he said, earnestly. Okay, something that is very, very common in circles, in charismatic circles, is the use of psychology, right? Uh, Which is simply manipulation in most cases. Let me just ask the question, why does Mr. Burpo feel the need to tell the audience that Colton, quote, turn his eyes up and to the right, the attitude of remembering, Well, the reason is very simple. This is just a sly way of convincing the audience that whatever he said or is about to say must be true, supposedly because every human that looks up and to the right when they're recounting something is remembering something, and therefore it must absolutely be true. This is nothing but manipulation, folks. There was no need to put that in the book. One has to assume it was intentionally put in the book. So even if if it even happened... Right, but this is nothing more than psychological conditioning, and and again, it's so common when you want to read through this, you actually find multiple little subtle statements like this that are just kind of hints, cues, right, to train the reader's mind to prepare the reader to accept whatever's about to be said next. Now, um, n- not to mention here that the problem of they being angels here show up to sing um, to a four-year-old, right? So back to the verse that said, Colton turned his eyes up and to the right, the attitude of remembering, and then he said this, well, they sang, Jesus loved me, and Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. So they, being the angels, showed up to sing to a four-year-old. Folks, there's zero evidence of angels singing to people anywhere in Scripture. In fact, uh, the record that we do have in Scriptures are angels singing around the throne and singing in worship to God, not to comfort human beings who have supposedly astral projected into the heavens. By the way, the concept of leaving the body and having some sort of esoteric transcendental experience is all too familiar with pagan practice and, in fact, utterly foreign to biblical scriptural uh, knowledge. Just another point of interest, let's actually look at a few verses that describe what the angels sing in heaven. So, I mean, just immediately in the prologue, we have this picture, uh, this supposedly, uh, you know, recounting of young four-year-old um, Colton Burpo being in heaven and the angels were singing to him to comfort him. Well, Luke 2 13 says this, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
Well, it seems to me like the subject there is God rather than men, but let's just try another one. Revelation 5, 8 through 11 says this, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowl full of bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. Well, okay, again, who was the subject of that new song, or rather the audience? Let's try another one. That one doesn't really fit in with Mr. Burpo's story. Revelation 15 says this, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them are the wrath of God with them, for for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Well, that one doesn't fit Mr. Burpo's story. Let's try one more. How about in Isaiah 6, 2-3? Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It seems that God is always the focus of song in heaven, and it's always to His glory. Nowhere in Scripture are angels even remotely close to singing to a human for comfort, and certainly not singing the likes of Joshua fought the battle or Jesus loves me. By the way, we should ask the question, why on earth would angels be singing Joshua fought the way, fought the battle anyway? The first few verses, if you're not familiar with the song, go a little bit like this. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down. You may talk about your men of Gideon, you may talk about the men of Saul, but there's none like good old Joshua at the battle of Jericho. Well, the focus of the song is all wrong, the purpose is wrong, and the audience is all wrong when we compare what supposedly happened to little Colton Burpo versus what we see a pattern for in Scripture. For the record, I'm not saying that this four-year-old was necessarily lying. He might have been. He is four, after all. We aren't to presume that four-year-olds are perfect. In fact, if you have children, you know that's not true. Or maybe the four-year-old had a dream of sorts. I mean, he was under anesthesia having surgery. There's no telling what he may have thought. Or whatever the case is, the reality is that the biblical account and record of angel singing is totally contrary to what is proposed in this book. But let's just keep going. Uh, when we go to page 19 of the prologue, the four-year-old is recorded to have said this, quote, 
Dad, Jesus had the angels sing to me because I was so scared. They made me feel better. So the dad asks, You mean Jesus was there? Colton, the four-year-old, replies, Yeah, Jesus was there. And then he goes on to say that he was actually sitting in Jesus' lap. Well, (laughs) there are just really some huge, huge issues here. And we're only in the prologue. Right, we're on page what 19, I think I said. I just want to point out a few things. Just just a few things. Firstly, if Colton was sitting in the lap of Jesus, why? I mean, why did angels need to come and sing to him? Was Jesus not enough to comfort him? Was Jesus scary? Did Jesus call the angels because he couldn't handle calming down a four-year-old? I mean, these are legitimate questions. The implication of what's being said here is that the angels are really to be revered over Christ and desired for comfort over Christ himself. And there is nothing okay with that implication. It elevates the purpose of angels and man above Christ. Christ is neither the attention of heaven in uh, Mr. Burpo's reality, but rather man is the center of attention in Mr. Burpo's uh, recount of heaven. But that's just simply not biblical. Christ is the center of attention in heaven, not man, not even a four-year-old man. Now, beyond that, I just thought to myself, so... You've got this kid, he's supposedly sitting in Jesus' lap, right? And then the angels come and sing to him because he's scared, and they sing, Jesus loves me? I, I mean, that doesn't really make any sense at all. So he's supposedly sitting in the lap of Jesus, right? So you're telling me that while Jesus himself was not enough, clearly not enough to be comforted, In his perfect and glorified state, he could not calm this child. The child was, you know, super afraid. And so, I guess Jesus had to call in the angels to sing Jesus loves him while he's sitting in Jesus' lap. So, a song about Jesus calmed him, but sitting in Jesus' lap didn't calm him. That's just weird and unsettling. I mean, the reality is, folks, when we get to heaven, all eyes will be on Christ. Not the angels, not each other, but on Christ. I mean, this is what we look forward to. And, and yet, it, that doesn't seem to be what's happening in the picture painted by Colton and his dad, Todd Burpo. So on page 20 of the prologue, little Colton is telling his dad of his experience, and he says this about the experience, recounting it. He says, yeah, at the hospital, when I was with Jesus, you were praying, and Mommy was talking on the phone. So he goes on to say, because I could see you. I went up out of my body, and I was looking down, and I could see the doctor working on my body, and I saw you and Mommy. Now, this is a four-year-old saying this. I mentioned astral projection earlier. This is what he's describing here, and it is anything but Christian. I mean, it is a hundred percent, no, a thousand percent pagan. Just what is astral projection, you might ask? Well, it's a term used in esoteric, kind of an esoteric way to describe an intentional out-of-body experience 
intentional or unintentional, out-of-body experience that exhumes the existence of a soul or consciousness called an astral body. In other words, your spirit can float and separate from your physical body, and it can travel outside of it and throughout the universe. That's astral projection. If it sounds eerie, it, it is. It's pagan. Well, and besides the fact that for those who know your Bibles well, know that it's appointed once to die and, you know, then we are in wherever we're going for eternity, heaven or hell, uh, it was, this was a practice found in ancient Egypt. The concept of a soul traveling, appearing in various religious traditions. For example, ancient Egypt teaches um, th- that the soul, Ba, had the ability to hover outside of the physical body. In China... The Taoists practice practice this sort of thing, which involves the creation of an energy body by breathing meditations, drawing energy into a pearl, as it were, and then circulating it, and you can travel. Again, the idea that you can project yourself and look down on your own body and travel. It's also found in Hinduism. Astral projection is one of the CDs considered achievable by yoga practitioners through self-discipline meditation. Would you like to know where else this is found? It's also found in Japanese mythology. If someone holds a sufficient grudge against another person, the belief is that that person, either part of them or a whole part of their soul, can temporarily leave their body and appear before the target of their hate in order to curse or otherwise harm them similar to what's referred to as an evil eye. Well, I think we get the picture, right? Uh, While it might be an awe-inspiring moment to record in the book, the reality is that it is very, very far from anything godly, holy, or biblical. And in fact, it is eerily similar to just very dark pagan witchcraft practices. And yet, supposedly, little four-year-old... Colton Burpo astral projected from his body and was looking down on his body while the doctors worked on it, as well as being able to see his parents in different locations in the hospital. Well, let's skip a few chapters and examine just some of the statements made here and there. Like I said earlier, if we did the whole book, this would be a five-part podcast, and I don't think anyone could stand that, including myself. By the way... I hope you guys appreciate the work that goes into these things. Sometimes it's extre- it, it is extremely painful to go through an entire book like this. But my prayer is that it uh, just helps demonstrate the need for critical thinking and to really be students of the Word and to test everything that we read and hear um, against, against the authority of Scripture. There is more theological error in this book Then there are truth bombs in a Paul Washer sermon, and that's saying a lot. Anyway, on page 59, there's an exchange where Colton sees a man in a casket at a funeral home. Now, this is long after he recovers from surgery, and he shouts out loud when he sees the the man in the casket. He says, and I quote, Did that man have Jesus? He had to. He had to. He can't get into heaven if he didn't have Jesus in his heart. Now, supposedly, these are things that he learned in heaven. Well, the problem 
is that if he did go to heaven, he learned a really lot. He learned a lot of really bad theology, which means he didn't go to heaven. And this is a story presented as truth when it clearly isn't. You want to know what is in the heart of a believer? Blood. Yep, that's right. You want to know what's in the heart of an unbeliever? Blood also. Yep, same stuff. It's that funky liquid that like we need to be alive or something. Uh, that's what's in your heart. And praise God for it or we'd be dead. Um, it's just terrible theology. We don't ask Jesus into our heart. Um Christ makes man new. He transforms a heart of stone, as it were, to a heart of flesh and blood. It's a picture of us being made into something totally new, totally different than what we were. We're made a new creation. But there isn't a tiny little Jesus inside of anyone's heart. And we just have to believe that if one were to go to heaven, then... The theology they got, the doctrine they got, the teachings they got from there, if that were possible, and I would argue it is not, uh, would be absolutely perfect. It wouldn't be tainted and stained with uh, false belief and false doctrine. You don't find anywhere in Scripture where we're supposed to ask Jesus into our heart. You know why it's not there? Because it's really terrible theology, and that's not what happens. But supposedly... This is what Colton Burpo had learned from somewhere. Now, I'd venture that he probably learned it from his parents, not from any kind of heavenly or divine encounter. God calls men to himself by the Holy Spirit. He regenerates them, and then he gives them life, saving them. It might seem picky, but after all, like I said, we're talking about what supposedly was learned in heaven. The expectation is perfect. Just like Scripture The words matter. This is why you don't find in Scripture we ask Jesus into our heart. No, we believe on him who lived, died, rose again, paid for our sins. But we don't ask Jesus into our heart. On page 62, we'll just move along. Little Colton's dad is contemplating the miraculous experience his son supposedly had. Now, remember, Colton's dad is a pastor. Actually, I'm not sure if I've said that or yet, uh, yet or not, but Colton's dad is actually a pastor. And this is what he says, quote, If Colton really had a supernatural encounter, I certainly didn't want to ask him leading questions. We had taught Colton about our faith all his life. That's important to remember. I'll continue the quote. But if he had really seen Jesus and the angels, I wanted to become the student, not the teacher. Uh, sometimes. Well, let me just ask you, uh, dear parents out there, or, you know, if you have friends that are parents, or if you just know any four-year-olds. Um, do any of you out there think it's a good idea to start, you know, sitting under and getting your tutelage from a four-year-old? I mean, if you raised your hand and said, yes, I want to become the student of a four-year-old, you just need to get your head checked. That's preposterous. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. The implications here are are unspeakable. I I mean, really, let's just talk about the implications of that statement. Um, And quite frankly, the implications all throughout this book that Scripture is not sufficient, so much so that you have here a father 
a pastor no less, willing to set aside the Bible to learn from a four-year-old what Jesus and angels are like. Let me just say, dear brothers and sisters, if you ever find yourself in a church like that, or maybe if you're listening to this and you've thought this book is great and you're in a church like that, run for your life. I mean it. This is no exaggeration. Run for the sake of your spiritual life. Don't stay another second in that place. We do not learn our doctrine theology from four-year-olds we we may learn life lessons god may certainly well not may he we may but he certainly does use our family and our children um you know to teach us lessons to remind us of things to really right to sanctify us but we do not learn as such um what God is like, what the heavens are like, what our faith is like from a four-year-old's supposed miraculous account. We have the Bible for that. And here you have a pastor that's basically just shoving his Bible in a corner and saying, okay, yeah, now I'm the student. I'm the theological student uh, of my four-year-old child because he had this experience. That That's just insane. Well, let's just move a little further along in fact just going to the next page colton again starts talking about jesus and he says this quote hey dad did you know jesus has a horse a horse his dad replies yeah a rainbow horse i got to pet him there's a lot of colors end quote did you guys know that jesus had a rainbow horse because i didn't know that jesus has a rainbow horse And the Bible doesn't know that Jesus has a rainbow horse. In fact, according to Scripture, it's going to be a white horse. So it seems like someone is probably wrong. Either it's uh, little Colton Burpo or Todd Burpo, the father who's writing this book, or the Bible's wrong and my money is on the Bible is correct. And anyone who opposes it is a liar. Revelation 19.11 says this, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. So, it's a white horse, according to Revelation, or is it a rainbow horse, according to the Burpos? Well, um, does Jesus trade in his rainbow horse a little later on for a white one? I mean, this just isn't anywhere in Scripture. Now, what's really interesting, as we're reading through this book, um, on page 66, Colton's dad goes on to say this, quote, Now, here was my kid, in this matter-of-fact preschooler voice, telling me things that were not only astonishing on their face, but that also matched Scripture in every detail, right down to the rainbow colors described In the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not going to read what he's referencing, but it has nothing to do with a rainbow colored horse, so he's already taken that verse totally, utterly, and in every way out of context. But my only conclusion here is that either one, this is a pastor. I don't know if he's still a pastor now. Uh, I I hope not if he's not repented. Um, But Todd Burpo, he's either a pastor that has absolutely no clue what is really in his Bible, or two, he was counting on his readers not knowing what's in their Bible. 
And one thing is for sure, um, this account is anything but biblical. Now, on page 71, Colton goes on to say that Jesus gave him homework to do. He said, and I quote, Jesus was my teacher. Jesus gave me work to do. And that was my favorite part of heaven. There were lots of kids, Dad, end quote. Now, I don't know about you guys. Maybe there are plenty of people who just absolutely loved homework growing up as a kid. I was not one of them. Um, I, I wasn't a great student in school, uh, yeah, or in college, really. But anyway, um, and it, I, I just, out of all the things, when you think of what heaven might be like, because we, we all have those thoughts, right? Um, I mean, Scripture gives us a good picture and principle of a lot of things. But one thing that doesn't come to mind is homework being the greatest part of heaven, Now, from a four-year-old's perspective, you might be thinking, well, maybe it was. Um, Well, let me ask you some other questions because this is a really strange thing. So, the implication is that when we get to heaven, the focus is potentially going to be on things other than Christ and His glory. Well, yeah, Scripture seems to make that abundantly clear, Um, but... Just, did you know that Jesus gave homework to kids who visit heaven? Because I I didn't know that. And, I I mean, again, notice that his favorite part had nothing to do with Christ himself, or God the Father, or worshiping, or God's glory. It was the homework. Which, by the way, I wonder when that happened, because he only had three minutes in heaven, and... You know, his last uh, time he gave any details was that he was sitting on Jesus' lap when he was scared and angels came to sing to him, Jesus loves him, while he was on Jesus' lap because Jesus wasn't enough to comfort him anyway. Um, Yeah, that just doesn't make sense at all. A little further down the page, Colton's dad asks him, what do people look like in heaven? So we move past the homework thing, right? Uh, To which Colton replies, everybody's got wings. And apparently Colton had wings himself. He makes mention of that, and but they were smaller than everyone else's, he says. Now, if this is starting to sound a little more like a kid's fairy tale than a genuine account of heavenly things, I think you're on the right page. Now, I'm not mocking the four-year-old. You know, I, I, he very well could have said these things. He's four years old. I don't know what kind of television cartoons he's he he's uh, he's watching. I mean, uh, according to Todd Burpo, they've been keep teaching their kid about their faith ever since he was born. So sure, he I mean he was under anesthesia. He could have had all kind of dreams, thoughts, whatever. Um, but shame on Todd Burpo for publishing this garbage as a pastor, nonetheless. Apparently, people have wings in heaven. Did you know that? I didn't know that. No, not only did they have wings, but by the way, did you know that people fly with those wings in heaven? That's right. He says, and I quote, we flew. Well, all except Jesus. He was the only one in heaven who didn't have wings. Jesus went up and down like an elevator. That's a lot of brand new special revelation, folks. Did you know Jesus traveled in heaven up and down like an elevator and people had little wings they flew around with because i did not know that and the bible 
apparently doesn't know that. Now, worse than all of this is how Colton's dad responds in the book after hearing his son's account. Uh, His dad, Todd Burpo, says this, quote, The book of Acts flashed into my head the scene of Jesus' ascension when Jesus told the disciples that they would be his witnesses, that they would tell people all over the world about him, and he said this, the scripture says, uh, and so after he, he went on to say, the scriptures say Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So his kid's talking about how Jesus is moving up and down like an elevator, and then he says, oh yeah, the book of Acts, where Jesus ascends. And so he takes this passage, totally out of context, to convince himself, or more likely, to try to convince the reader that Jesus must in fact operate like an elevator in heaven because of this passage. I mean, oh my goodness. This stuff, folks, is so, so deceptive. And I've heard multiple Christians who had just nothing but the best things to say about this book, how encouraging it was, uh, how just emotionally drawing it was, um, you know, just, just praising God for this experience Almost as though when they opened the book, they opened their head first, pulled out their brain, plopped it on the table, and closed their their head back and then read the book. Because there's so much that's just clearly, clearly against what Scripture teaches and or clearly against principles that we have in Scripture. This book and the books like it are absolutely dangerous. By the way, this isn't the only account of, or someone claiming to have an account of going to heaven. There are multiple others. Uh, There are other books out there. There are other people who are, you know, making the conference rounds, at least they were before COVID. And it's funny because if you follow a lot of these things, um, you find that years after their story, their story starts changing uh, in some significant ways. Little details, right, um, have changed, but you're talking about heaven, so those details couldn't possibly have changed. And yeah, it's interesting. It just takes a little bit of effort to uh, keep, keep track of that stuff. But the point is, Guys, we, we've got to learn to be Bereans. We've got to learn to, look, the Bereans heard the teaching of the Apostle Paul and went back to make sure that it was true. How much more should we in today's world test the things we learn and hear when it pertains, especially when it pertains to the Christian faith and practice against the truth of Scripture, Right? I mean, this this book paints a picture, again, not just contrary to Scripture, but it teaches, really, that Scripture just simply isn't enough. You read this book, and the natural response for the majority of people is going to be something like, wow, if only I could have an experience like that. Yeah, that's what it produces. And, and unfortunately, um, that is the mindset of Scripture not being enough. We need special revelation. We need secret revelation and that only a very few are privileged to have. It's extremely dangerous, and it's certainly not Christian. 
Well, one thing's for sure about this book and subsequently the movie, it made them a lot of money. Now, I understand the appeal of a book like this just on the surface or a movie like this. It's a heartwarming, tear-jerking story, right? A four-year-old, and I'm not making lightly of of the need for an emergency appendectomy. I have uh, no reason to believe that wasn't true. Not making light of that. I'm glad that the surgery went well. I'm glad that, you know, little Colton survived that. But it's an emotion grabber. Um, but the problem is that this book is a lie and, and I know it's a lie and we know it's a lie because it goes clearly against what we see and know from scripture, right? The scripture is true and let every man that says otherwise be a liar. It twists scripture, it takes it out of context, it creates versions of heaven, either contrary to what scripture says or unverifiable. It elevates angels above their station, it changes their function in some case, it creates a longing for special revelation. All the while, this book really and truly belittles the authority and sufficiency of the word of God. Like I said earlier, it's not the only book or movie out there that does this, but it just seems like so many Christians fall for this garbage because of the high biblical illiteracy out there amongst the Christian population. We can't just read a good story and say, yeah, it must be true because it made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I'm a, I mean, so, you know, if your four-year-old runs into the room tomorrow and says, Mommy, Mommy, I saw Jesus, you know, riding a dinosaur with wings and poop skittles. I, I mean, are we going to have another book about that? It's crazy. And like I said before, we don't really have the time to do this, do the whole book. Um, and I think what we've covered is enough. You know, the point is um, that we can stamp this book as heretical garbage for research purposes only. Don't pass this book out. If you have it, just burn the thing. Don't give it to anybody. Rip it up and throw it in the trash can. Put it in your fireplace. If, if you want to go through and study against scripture, that'd be fine. But, you know, hide it so no one can see the thing. It's really that bad. Um, kind of like the Noah movie that came out, I don't know, a couple years ago. All the Christians, or even worse, The Shack. I, we're going to do one of these on The Shack, I think. That book, I just honestly felt like I wanted to tear my eyeballs out a couple times reading The Shack. It, a horrid, horrid, blasphemous book. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent, but the books like this one and The Shack and just uh, other stuff out there, um, it it so degrades the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture that no, no good Bible-believing Christian that knows their Bible should be able to open these books and have any thought other than, wow, this is, this is garbage, right? That's, that's true. 
you know, we're going to look up, we're, we're going to wrap up here, but I do want to draw attention to one of the very few people in scripture who we know had a vision of heaven, right? Because some of you may already be thinking, well, I mean, there were some people who had visions of heaven, so it's not like it's never happened before. Okay, I'll give you that. It's true. Um, obviously, we have the book of Revelation, to which I would say that was for the purpose of giving us canonized scripture. Um, that doesn't happen. We don't have apostles. The canons close. So unique situation. But there's another, right? The Apostle Paul, uh, which a lot would point to. And uh, but so let's just go to where the Apostle Paul recounts his experience and see if in any way, shape, or form it matches up to Mr. Colton Burpo's. Says this: boasting is necessary. Though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelation of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up into the third heavens. And I know how such a man, whether in body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Well, that's the Apostle Paul, of course, referring to himself. And, uh, you know, we talked about the book of Revelation, which is another account, but that's the inerrant, infallible scripture. And here we have the Apostle Paul who says, now listen, listen again carefully to what the Apostle Paul says about what he heard. He says that what he heard was inexpressible and that which man was not permitted to speak. Do you just, do you get the weight of that compared to the lighthearted, almost comical jesting that you get from this book, Heaven is for Real, right? He says that it was inexpressible and and which man, right? So all of mankind was not permitted to speak, men in general, that which man was not permitted to speak. This was the same apostle, by the way, that God used to write much of the New Testament, an apostle, and he could not repeat what he had heard or seen. So, do we know what he heard or seen? No, we have no idea. And yet, there are multiple accounts of people supposedly having visited heaven and are so freely able, with no sense of awe or great fear, share the things that they experienced in heaven, all uh, either against or not confirmed by Scripture. And this is what we have with young Colton Burpo's story. Contradicts scripture in many places. Can't confirm it from scripture in some places. Right? There's no awe. There's no real reverence. And certainly, um, it just doesn't at all compare with, well, look at the book of Revelation, all right, which is to come, or look at Paul's recount. It just doesn't add up. And so the only conclusion we can come to is that, like I said, th this book is just heretical garbage. 
It's good Firestarter. And that's it. The story we talked about today just is simply not a true story. It's a fabricated story or or it's just the story from the imagination of a four-year-old child who's been growing up singing Jesus Loves Me and drawing pictures of, you know, people with wings and halos. Either case, it bears no resemblance to biblical reality or biblical truth. So then what is true? Well... What is true are the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. The Bible is true, and not only is the Bible true, but it's wholly sufficient for all that we need. We don't need dreams. We don't need miraculous experiences. We don't need emotional pulls. We have Scripture. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. That's what we need. That's what we have. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 really sums this up for us. And it says this, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So guys, I hope that this week's podcast was a blessing to you. I hope that you'll go from here and you'll consider the words of 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 seriously. And next time, when you pick up a book, if you happen to pick up a book, uh, that's an account from heaven, just know that it's appointed once for a man to die. And there's no living person that's experiencing heaven these days. These books are a facade. They're a sham. They're made up. They're, they're fiction. They're fairy tales. We have the word of God, and that's all we need. It is holy, holy sufficient for everything we need for faith and practice in the Christian faith. So, until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.